All right. <clears throat> a little bit different tonight uh, as far as the message goes, but uh, this morning message I've preached many times before, but uh, tonight I have never preached this particular way or this particular text, but ultimately we will get to Luke 17. It will just take us a little bit to get there. I had titled this message, um, The High Priest Motif. Uh, behind the writing of Luke. So just where you know how I got here is I'm going to be preaching the book of Acts um, uh, very soon, I hope. And so I've been doing a lot of study just on the person of Luke and his writings. And so uh, that led me to uh, the message tonight uh, out of the Gospel of Luke. I also want to thank Dr. Allen, uh, just to be fair. I've read a lot of material by Dr. Allen as you know, me and him do not agree on the atonement, uh, but he has been very helpful to me in different regards, preaching-wise, and some of his writing. And he put me on to this idea of the priesthood of Christ in the writing of Luke. All right, so he gave me the idea. I flourished it from there and have what I have for you tonight. I think it will help us as we take communion to think about the priesthood of Christ. Interestingly, Luke, in his gospel, does not uh, apply high priesthood to Christ in words, like Jesus Christ is the high priest. He doesn't specify that way. Um, The Apostle Paul never mentions the high priest in his writings. But then in the book of Hebrews, the high priest is mentioned a whole lot. Okay, Um, You know I hold to a Lucan authorship of Hebrews, but that's just the facts of priesthood Hebrews has a lot of it. Uh, Paul never mentions the priest being Christ. And then in the Gospel of Luke, it's not mentioned specifically to Christ, but I'm presenting to you tonight that it is there. And we're going to do that just from an understanding of what the priest does and who he is. So we're going to start this way. The priesthood inclusio. I've used the word inclusio enough over the years, you probably know, bookends, And so you have priesthood here, priesthood here, and something in the middle that has to do with being a priest. So if we look at the large picture of the book of Luke, just taking a very momentary glance at Luke, I had not caught this before, but what you find in the opening pages of Luke in chapters 1 and 2, you start off after he introduces the book to Theophilus, you find that he starts out with a priest. In Luke chapter 1. I'm not going to read all the text. I'm just setting these things up before you, and we'll get our way to Luke 17 in a moment. But in verse 5, in the days of Herod, chapter 1, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest. So you have this priest. His name is Zedekiah. His wife is barren. She becomes pregnant. You have this discussion about what we're going to name the child. Uh, Zechariah becomes mute over this deal because he doubted what was said. Nevertheless, all I'm saying to you is, in Luke chapter 1, we start the discussion talking about the priest. Now, there are two specific functions of the priest that we need to be aware of. One is that the priest is the one who pronounces the blessing upon the people. Also, it's the priest who gives the benediction at the end of the synagogue service. Blessing, benediction, the function or role of the priest. So here in Luke, we have a priest. And then if you get to chapter 2 
of the Gospel of Luke, you will find Jesus being presented in the temple, and you will find a man by the name of Simeon. I think Simeon functioned and was in the role of a priest as well. He says in Luke 2 and verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So we had Zechariah, now we have Simeon, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then if you look in Luke 2, right there where we just were, and go down to verse 28, and this is something the priests would do. When they pronounce a blessing or the benediction in the synagogue, they would raise their hands above their shoulders to pronounce the blessing upon the people. You see that in Numbers chapter 6. You see that in benedictions in the New Testament, this lifting up and pronouncing a blessing. Simeon takes up the Lord Jesus, the baby, takes him up in his arms, holds up the baby, and blesses God, right? Bless God and said. So it's a priestly function. Praising, blessing God, lifting up the child. And he says, Lord, now you are, at, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon, verse 34, blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Hands lifted, blessing pronounced, function of a priest in chapter 1, the function of a priest in chapter 2. Now, you also have the benediction. The benediction the priest would give at the end of the synagogue service. So you go to the end of the Gospel of Luke. You go to chapter 24 and the last verses of this Gospel book. By the way, specific to Luke, he very, very much emphasizes the ascension. The other gospel writers do not. John doesn't. Matthew and Mark do not. But Luke emphasizes the ascending Christ. And so he ends with this benediction. He led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands. This is Christ now. Now we're not talking about Zechariah or Simeon. Now we have Christ outside of Jerusalem in Bethany, and he's lifting up his hands. He lifts up his hands, and he blessed them. That's what the priest does. Priestly function, he pronounces a blessing upon his disciples. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So all that I've set before you is, is that Luke in the Gospel of Luke, has an understanding of the priesthood. He starts with the priesthood with Zechariah and Simeon. He ends with the priesthood of Christ, although he doesn't call him the priest, but he has this benediction, Christ lifting up his hands and pronouncing a blessing, which is what the priest does. All right, so we have those things before us, blessing and benediction. Now, in Jewish custom, only the high priest could do the benediction at the end of the service. 
If the high priest was not present, then they would have to end the service in a prayer, but they wouldn't be able to lift their hands and do the benediction. That was a role reserved for the priest only. Now, this blessing benediction is vividly portrayed in Numbers. In Numbers chapter 6, you can turn there if you like, but the Lord speaks to Moses saying, say to Aaron, speak to Aaron and his sons saying this, thus you shall bless the people of Israel, Uh, you shall speak these words to them, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is known as the Aaronic blessing. Aaron being the priest, his sons being the priest. This is how you are to function in regards to the people of Israel. This is how you bless them. Pronounce this blessing upon them. And so, number six, and whatever those verses were, if you look in chapter six, you can find it. All right. Also, in the sense of these things of benediction, blessing, the other thing with the priest is atonement. The priests so have function to make atonement for the sins of the people. You've got to slaughter a bull, you've got to slaughter a goat, turtle doves. Blood has to be spilt, blood has to be poured out. And so we have this idea of atonement. Interestingly, in the end of Hebrews, chapter 13, we'll turn there a couple of times tonight, but in Hebrews 13, if you get to the end, it ends very much like the Gospel of Luke ends. And he says in Hebrews, and if you look in your Bibles, I don't know about all translations, but at least in the translation most of you use, when you get to Hebrews 13 and verse 20, right above it, it will say, the benediction. The benediction. He said, we're going to end just like Luke did in chapter 24 with the benediction by Christ. In the end of Hebrews, we're going to end with the benediction. And it's going to say this in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In that passage, in this benediction, you have the blood of Christ and you have the eternal covenant And this is established as the benediction for the book. Now, atonement and benediction are put together at the end of Luke, at the end of Hebrews. Christ's sacrificial offering, we have this phrase, sacrificial offering, by his blood, by his blood. And Hebrews says that it's through the greater and more perfect tent in Luke He pictures the veil or the curtain being torn in half in order that there's now access into the Holy of Holies that's made possible because of the sacrifice of Christ. We no longer have to have this earthly priest to go on our behalf once a year. Now because of the perfect work of Christ, the way into the Holy of Holies is made accessible to all believers and Christ has accomplished that. And it has made Christ what? Memory verse. It has made him the mediator of a new covenant. 
He's now this mediator of this new covenant, which is better than the old covenant. And we heard that this morning in Jeremiah 31, this new covenant is written upon our heart. God is with us, and we are with him, and we are his people. And also notice this about the priest in Luke and this understanding of the priesthood. When you get to the end of Luke and you see this benediction, you, you can't miss this reality. After the resurrection, Christ does not go back in the temple. It's done. So when you get to the end of Luke, you go outside the city. You go outside the city, and it's in Bethany where he lifts his hands and pronounces this blessing upon his disciples. Well, if you go back to Hebrews again, and you go back to Hebrews chapter 13, and you look at verse 12 of Hebrews 13, you find the similar thing of being outside the city. And Luke and Hebrews 13, 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Hebrews ends with Christ outside the temple. Luke ends outside the temple with Christ and a benediction and a blessing upon his followers couched in this phrase, by his blood or through his blood. So coming to the same conclusions there, all I've set before you is, is I think that Luke is very well aware and very understanding of what the priestly function is and the importance of the role of the priest. Although he does not say Christ is the high priest in the gospel of Luke, he very well presents him accurately in the way that he writes it. Now, let's move away from Luke for just a moment, and let's move to Hebrews. All we're going to do is read. Just take your Bible, follow along. I put them in order, and it will not be hard uh, to catch up as long as you start in Hebrews chapter 2. We'll just go right through these. I just want you to hear the truth said about Christ and his priesthood. Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become what? A merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and he would make propitiation for the sins of the people. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Chapter 4, verse 14. 414. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Chapter 5, verse 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. He was appointed by him who said, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. I have brought you forth. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers, supplications, with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, because of his holiness. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 6, verse 20. Chapter 6 and 20 says, Where Jesus has gone as the forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 7, verse 26. Chapter 7, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses, high priest. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Isn't that cool how you put it like that? So we're tracking it along. Here's what we're saying. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things which have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Let me go ahead and finish that paragraph. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Then we also have yeah, that's it. That's the ones of the book of Hebrews, identifying Christ clearly, unquestionably as the high priest. Now, let us return, not return, we hadn't got there yet, but let us go to Luke chapter 17. Now, this should be a whole sermon of itself. I hope you're tracking what I'm just trying to set before you and this priesthood of Christ. Now, the passage I just want you to ponder, and maybe you've not seen this before. I certainly had not come to this conclusion before. But in Luke 17, you have 10 lepers, verses 11 through 19. Many of you know the story. Let's read it again to familiarize ourselves with it. He's on his way to Jerusalem, so now we're kind of in the middle of the book. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village... He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. That was the custom. They had to stay at a distance. It was back pre-COVID, leprosy COVID. 
Maintain six feet. Okay. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, you note at this moment, he hasn't healed them. They all tend still have leprosy. Go show yourselves to the priest. I think John preached on it last week on Sunday morning when I was gone. But he, you go to the priest, he examines you, and he has to pronounce you clean or unclean based upon your condition, right? So they had to go there. So he tells them to go to the priest. They understand this terminology. They understand to return back to the social environment, to, under, to return back to synagogue service. The priest has to say he's clean. So Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. As they went... As they're in the process of going, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, Rise, go your way, your faith, and the Greek word here is sozo. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. This is the phrase. Because of faith, you're right. You've been forgiven, you're clean, you're cleansed. Now, I know John did this or did something with it, I'm not going to read it all or anything like that, but I do want you to take just a quick moment and look again at Leviticus 13. We're just going to very quickly glance at it just to set it before you. You can read it later. You can listen to John's sermon on Sermon Audio and hear these things there. But if you look in in, in Leviticus 13 and you have the laws of leprosy, all I want to point out to you is that throughout these laws and what has to happen Here's what the priest does. He shall pronounce him unclean. He shall pronounce him clean. He shall pronounce him unclean. He shall pronounce him unclean. He shall pronounce him clean. He shall pronounce him unclean. He shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean. He shall pronounce him unclean. He shall pronounce him clean. He shall pronounce him unclean. Pronounce him unclean. Pronounce him clean. Pronounce him unclean. Pronounce him clean. Pronounce him clean. Pronounce him unclean. And If he's found to be unclean, he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. See, you said the same thing a bunch of times. Granted, yes. But I'm just reading what the text was saying. This is the function of the priest. To make a pronouncement over the person as to whether they're clean or unclean. Now, in Luke 17, let me remind you of what we have here. All ten men have leprosy. You all have the same thing. Okay? All ten are seeking a cure. Everybody has the same position. We need a cure. All ten have heard something about Jesus. I don't know what all they've heard, but they've heard something. All ten appear before Jesus And they all address him with the same words. Master, Lord. Jesus, Master. Jesus, Lord. They all give him a title of respect and honor. And all ten 
obey the command to go show yourself to the priest. All ten are healed in the process of going. But only one returns to show himself to the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. He comes back to Christ. He falls on his face and gives thanks to God. And the high priest, Christ, says, your faith has cleansed you. You're free to return back to social life, to activities in the synagogue, because the high priest has made you clean. Now granted, I'll be fair, does the Samaritan consciously come back to Jesus, recognizes him as the high priest? I don't know. But I know from Hebrews and from my Bible that Jesus is the high priest, and I know that he came back to Jesus, so truthfully speaking, whether the Samaritan knew it or not, he did present himself to the high priest because that's who Christ is. And the high priest pronounces him clean. And as you think about that, I want you to think about this. In the heart of this man, putting himself at the feet of Christ, he gives thanks. Tonight is communion. We break bread. We drink from a cup. Tonight, in our hearts, we give thanks to our high priest who sacrificed himself and poured out his blood on our behalf in order that we could have access to the throne room of glory. Because of what Christ has done, would we as a people return to this table every month to give thanks to Christ? That's the point of the message. Do we have hearts of thanksgiving for what our priest has done upon our behalf? Then if you will turn lastly, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22. Verse 14. What a special night it was. Christ administers the supper. You'll notice in the Luke account, he administers the supper, but you'll have these words that you may not find in the other Gospels. He earnestly desired. Anybody with us? He earnestly desires to have the supper with them. Now just think for a moment about communion. We, I know we do it on a regular basis. I know we do it at least once a month. But we have to ask the question. I know Christ's position here in Luke is he earnestly desires to do this with his disciples. I just want to know, do you reciprocate the same position? I, I just desire to take this meal with Christ. I'm here tonight, Pastor, because I earnestly desire to break bread with Christ and with my brothers and sisters. I earnestly desire to drink from the cup tonight because we can be gathered in unity to give our thanks to the high priest. In our text, verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at table, the apostles with him, 
He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. Verse 16, his body is broken. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. His body's broken. His blood is shed. Christ is betrayed. At the very table, he is betrayed. Verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes that has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Here you at least get a glimpse of depravity. Can you imagine at the table with Christ himself serving, there is Judas acting like a follower when his heart is not right, betraying the Lord. If it would happen that way with Christ, I'm not completely in the dark here. It's possible even this night that somebody would take this bread and eat, take this cup and drink, but in the very same person would be a heart that betrays Christ every day. It was a shocking statement that night. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Here is Christ, our priest at the supper. Certainly he intercedes for us. He sheds his own blood for our atonement. And he pronounces clean all of those who would have faith in him. So I simply ask, would you respond like the Samaritan and give him thanks? Would you Express your gratitude to him tonight. Now, to be fair, how do I do this, Pastor? I don't think you have to stand up in your pew and clap and shout hallelujah. I don't think that's necessary. You certainly don't have to roll down the aisle barking like a dog in order to gain attention to yourself. I don't think you have to do that. But I do think that in your heart that you can express gratitude to Christ from your heart in a time of prayer, honoring him for what he's done for you. Now, we ought to do that tonight, and then we would partake together and eat and drink. And so, you can come and bow here at the front, at the platform. You can bow in the pew where you're at. Um, uh, you can, however you want to do that, but let us take time. We will pray in just a moment. There are visitors, there are different people here tonight, so let me remind you of these things. Now, Communion is for believers. You see, the only one who has access to the table. If you've not repented of your sin and you've not believed on Christ, then this body is not for you. This blood is not for you. You've not received it, so you're not a part of the fellowship. If you've believed on Christ, you've been baptized by immersion, you've confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I encourage you to partake and give him thanks. Let us examine our hearts, see where we're at with the Lord. If you need to repent, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Ask him to cleanse you. Be just like Luke 17. Lord, Master, have mercy. Cleanse me. Have, be cleansed by him in order that you can partake tonight.
So at this moment, 